0: The British singer Dua Lipa has never been secretive about her songwriting. She's recorded interviews where she goes deep on her influences, analyzes her music stem by stem. Her latest album, she said the vibe was driven by a close-knit team. They opened up their recording session by playing around with some tarot cards, and they powered through it all on a donut-fueled sugar high. This recording session produced a mega hit, which, if you have not been living under a rock for the last year, you've definitely heard. This song, Levitating, it is the most streamed song of 2021. I called up a self-described Dua Lipa expert to talk to me about it.
1: (laughs) Guilty as charged, I suppose.
0: Jeremy Oros teaches music theory at the University of Memphis. He's happy to admit he is a straight up fan of Dua.
1: You know, she has the most honest album name that maybe I've ever heard, Future Nostalgia. I, I've never heard that, you know, I've never heard one so, so honest and transparent because there is a lot of nostalgia for music of the 70s through 90s. And I wouldn't say it's it's derivative of that, but it certainly is inspired by a lot of the, a lot of the great hits of those decades.
0: Is that kind of nostalgia a little dangerous right now? Oh, y- yes,
1: absolutely. <laughs>
0: Jeremy's saying this nostalgia can be dangerous because of what's happened over the last few weeks. Just as Levitating became the longest charting song by a woman in Billboard Hot 100 history, Dua Lipa got slapped with a plagiarism lawsuit. Two plagiarism lawsuits, actually. The funny thing about these legal cases, though, is that the people behind Levitating, they've already said this song is sort of a tribute. It channels artists like Blondie, Daft Punk, Jamiroquai, Prince. But those are not the artists who are suing here. How common
1: are plagiarism lawsuits in the music industry right now? Uh, They're they're extremely common. Not too many end up making headline news and a lot we never really hear about. If you are a big artist,
0: do you just need to build into your life? Like you're going to get sued over your music. People are going to say you copied them. Absolutely. Today on the show, how long-shot lawsuits against pop's biggest stars are reshaping the music industry. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. Before we get into the specifics of these copyright cases against Dua Lipa, I think it might be useful to just talk about plagiarism in music more broadly. Like, what are the red lines here? Like, when when does it go from a song paying homage to another song, to a song stealing from another song?
1: Yeah. So in U.S. case history, when there's something that an average person who's serving on a jury can hear, And if someone on a jury or if a majority or unanimous jury happens to say, yes, I believe these two are too similar so that uh, this artist must have heard this song from the other. And usually that's manifest in melodic similarity, because melody is something that the average listener can hear. You don't have to be a musician and you don't even necessarily have to be able to carry a tune to hear the two melodies are similar.
0: Hmm. But aren't a lot of melodies similar? Like... There are only a certain number of notes available to play.
1: Yes, (laughs) which is why a lot of lawsuits are, I think, pretty silly. Uh, And a lot are just thrown out, you know, a lot. Never make it to trial because a judge will see this and say, I've heard dozens of songs that do this. And that's really what happens with most of them, I think. But like I said, there are plenty we don't hear about. There's also the issue of intent,
0: too, right? Do you need the songs to be both similar and there need to be an intent on behalf of one artist to steal from another artist, essentially?
1: So you hit the nail on the head with those two things. Similarity and intent are the two things that matter the most. However, sometimes one of those alone can be enough for a successful copyright infringement lawsuit. So uh, George Harrison was sued, um, along with Billy Preston for his song, My Sweet Lord. My sweet Lord. And the judge ruled that it sounded a lot like the Chiffon's tune, He's So Fine. fine. And it did sound a lot like the Chiffon's tune. But But there were countless witnesses that attested to the fact that My Sweet Lord was written as part of a jam. Hmm. They just wrote it backstage before a gig in Copenhagen. So so there's no intent there. Absolutely no intent. That's what the songwriter said. But the judge said, well, this was a huge hit in the U.S. and the U.K. That's where you two guys are from. So clearly you could have had access to this. And even if you weren't thinking of it, uh, you've infringed on the copyright of this song.
0: Part of what makes it so easy to infringe on a song's copyright, even if you're not thinking about it, is that in Western music there's a limited number of combinations that sound pleasing to most people. So if you make music that hits your ear just right, someone else has probably written that music before. The music of the late 50s is a good example here. If you turned on the radio, most songs you'd hear would start up with a standard doo-wop progression, something like this. That sounds so familiar.
1: Yeah, what song is that? <laughs> the, the short answer is it doesn't matter. Um, it depends what <laughs> we do with the rhythm of it. Um, if we were to add some triplets to it, uh, something like this. Then that would be, you know, Earth Angel would be the most famous example. But it could be just about any song that was on the charts in the late 50s or early 60s.
0: And at the time, were those artists suing each other's faces off?
1: No, um, because th- there was already ample precedent that using the same chord progression, especially if it's a common progression, was not considered copyright infringement.
0: So then what's different with this case or with these series of cases in the last few years?
1: Well, there's been, I guess, suppose, a greater awareness that this can be a great revenue stream if you're an artist and you stop getting as many royalties on a song you wrote a long time ago. And that really came to a head uh, starting in the early 90s when there was a slew of lawsuits about sampling. So with that sort of culture of of greed, uh, I, which is really what I think fuels it all, um, anytime you think, hmm, I bet I could win a case about this because someone wrote a song that sounds like my song, far too often that happens. And that's become more common in the last 30 years. So let's
0: talk about levitating. Earlier this month, not one, but two different plagiarism accusations surfaced against Dua Lipa. Can you talk me through these accusations, who the accusers are, and why they've come forward? I guess we should start with Article Sound System. They wrote the song, Live Your Life.
1: That's right. So they filed their lawsuit on March 1st, and they're claiming that the song Live Your Life sounds a lot like levitating.
0: does to be fair
1: <laughs> it does oh absolutely it does yeah and in this case there are harmonic similarities there's melodic similarities the rhythm similar it is however short lived but there there is there is a significant similarity huh so talk to me about the
0: similarity here and why this group decided to sue
1: Well, why they decided to do, I I think they just viewed this as a goldmine, either that or they wanted the exposure, but there really is a significant similarity. It's just during the chorus of each song, and it's about three or four measures that are significantly similar. And so this is how Live Your Life sounds. While levitating sounds more like this. So that's really the difference between them.
0: Not much difference.
1: Not much difference, <laughs> yeah.
0: And it's just a sliver of the songs, we should say. It's not
1: the whole song. No, not at all. Um, the rest of the songs sound nothing alike. So no, the, the songs have very little in common besides that. They do happen to be in the same key, which makes them sound even more similar. So that's one thing that I think they, they feel like they have a better case, and they believe maybe it's less likely that it's a coincidence because they're in the same key.
0: Other songs use this same chord progression, right? Like, I saw another musical expert quoted basically being like, oh, yeah, there's like a No Doubt song that uses the same chord progression. There's just, it's not uncommon.
1: Yeah, there's a No Doubt song. There's a Halloween song. There's a DNCE song. There's a ELO song. Yes, this is an incredibly common chord progression. So it's not distinctive. No, it's not. And because this chord progression is not distinctive, there's no tread on the tires for this case if it were just the chord progression. The fact that the melody is similar to gives it a little bit more teeth. But without the melodic similarities, there's absolutely nothing here. So do you find
2: this
0: accusation from Article Sound System credible?
1: Not really. The thing is, there's no intent here. Article Sound System was not that widely known. Uh, you know, they didn't have a number one hit on the pop charts. They weren't played on any of the same radio stations that someone like Dua Lipa would have been played on. They're a little
0: known reggae band from Florida. Right.
1: Right. Right. So it's really unlikely that, that Dua Lipa or anyone in her camp had heard this song ever before. What's most likely, uh, at least according to Adam Neely, he says that both songs sound a lot like Outcasts, uh, Rosa Parks, which I think is true. So since there is similarity between them, it's more likely that if they got an idea from anywhere, it was from Outcast rather than from one another.
0: Huh. Okay, so let's talk about this second case. Lindsay Brown and their song Wiggle and Giggle All Night.
2: I was walking down the street when I saw the Tensor Soldier Boy winkle, winkle, winking at me. He said, I'd like to make a date, I said so sorry, but his lady said, What's, What's the matter, matter baby, baby? Ain't you free?
0: which I had never heard of until I went and looked it up on YouTube.
1: Well, me neither. I never heard of any of these songs <laughs> before. Uh, so yeah, so Wiggle and Giggle All Night, it's a song from 1979. And the rhythm of the vocal melody is quite similar to "Levitating." The rhythm?
0: Yeah. So like how you syncopate your voice?
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's a long string of 16th notes that are grouped in kind of the same way.
0: Give me an example.
1: So, the first two lines of Wiggle and Giggle are essentially this... And the first line of Levitating is... So, the rhythm is basically the same.
0: But isn't that just, like, fast rhythm? (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) No, it's a little bit more than that. I just played two measures. And I think they believe they have a case here because there are eight measures with some similarity. Now, the similarity is primarily rhythmic, which historically would not seem to give them enough of a case. But I think they think that because the first two lines are quite similar to one another, then the third line is different. And then the fourth line brings it all home. And they both follow that same kind of template. So because it's more extensive rhythmic similarity that goes on for eight bars, they think they have a case. But I've heard that, this kind of
0: structure in a song is quite common.
1: Right, so this is one of the most common verse structures that exists, where there are two lines that sound kind of similar, the third one does something different, and then the fourth line brings it home. If there is a more common way to structure a verse, I'm not aware of it. Well, so given all this,
0: how credible is the second accusation?
1: In terms of musical similarity, it is far less credible, I would say, However, in terms of how the legal complaint is written, uh, it is in some ways more critical. What do you mean? Well, the article sound system lawsuit uh, does not have any music notation in it. So they didn't hire you know, someone like me to transcribe them and look at them together. Uh, whereas the Brown and Linzer lawsuit, they do. So one of these artists
0: is just kind of going for it and seeing what they can do or get. Mm-hmm. And the other one <laughs> is maybe making a more serious attempt here.
1: They are. And th- the thing about Brown and Linzer, this isn't their first rodeo. I mean, there was a song that came out that actually did plagiarize their song Wiggle and Giggle all night. Uh, and it was in Spanish. Maybe they were just hoping that that no one would notice. But the verse is almost exactly the same. It's just in a different key and the different words.
0: And did they win when they challenged that song?
1: Yes. They, they won that case in 1987. And according to the letter of the law and precedent, that was a fair case where they won the copyright infringement claim. Absolutely.
0: I read one lawyer who looked at these cases and basically said, in a normal world, I'd say there's a very slim chance that these kinds of cases would succeed against this Dua Lipa song. But that... (laughs) Now, you kind of have to add a little asterisk to that because there has been so much litigation in the last few years that it's upended what these cases look like once they get in front of a judge. Do you agree with that?
1: I do. Uh, if you would have asked me this five years ago, I would have said these cases are frivolous and there's no way that they go to trial. Now that the Blurred Lines ruling happened and was upheld on appeal... It's really hard to predict what will happen.
0: After the break, how one ruling against one songwriting team means none of the conventional wisdom applies anymore in these copyright infringement cases.
3: This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of IC Terms and conditions apply.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: You might remember Robin Thicke and Pharrell's smash hit, Blurred Lines. Everybody get up. This song came out in 2013. It was immediately controversial because of the way it condoned rape culture. One camp that was not a fan of Blurred Lines for a different reason was the estate of Marvin Gaye. Gaye's family listened to this song, and they thought it ripped off the song Got to Give It Up. up. Pharrell and Robin Thicke actually sued the Gaye estate preemptively, hoping a judge would rule they were in the clear here. But the lawsuit backfired. They were found to owe Marvin Gaye's family millions of dollars. And this ruling was unexpected, because what Marvin Gaye's family was alleging wasn't that Blurred Lines had copied any particular musical element that could be found on a piece of sheet music. What they'd cribbed was Marvin Gaye's style, something that had never been subject to copyright
1: in the past. They had tried to find some forensic musicologists to support them, and their first attempts, uh, people turned them down and said, no, I don't think there's enough similarity between these songs. Huh. Yeah, which is astounding.
0: Was that sort of like looking out for the industry more broadly, like just saying we shouldn't be filing these kinds of lawsuits or what?
1: I think that might be sort of a, a hidden consideration there. But a lot of expert witnesses said, you know, and I would I would agree with this, that the notes and rhythms and melodies and chords, very little of that's similar, but the style is similar. So in terms of musical similarity, that's really limited. In terms of intent, however, uh, there was correspondence between the songwriters that said, hey, do you know Marvin Gaye's got to give it up? Let's make something that sounds kind of like that. Oof. It's
0: like a smoking gun.
1: <laughs> it was a smoking gun, the fingerprints on the murder weapon, whichever one of those, you know, crime story ones we, we want to use. So, so there is a smoking gun in that case. So unlike the George Harrison case, which was similarity without intent, this was intent without, in my opinion, much similarity at all.
0: Huh. I mean, I read about the case here and it sounded kind of wild. Like Marvin Gaye's estate turned up and they had like made their own jingles out of the songs to kind of be really clear with people about how similar they were. And then Robin Thicke would play piano and and (laughs) try to, you know, plink out like this is how similar songs are. Like this is how music works. Can you just Bring me inside the courtroom
1: a little bit. Sure. Well, the the expert witnesses were able to just create what they call a a constellation of similarities. And that's how they persuaded the jury. They said, well, if you look at this and this and this, these are some distinctive stylistic features. And, you know, this is not typical of Motown era baselines. And here's this one distinctive feature. And hey, we find this in blurred lines, too. And, you know, in the past, that level of musical similarity would not have, you know, would not have led to a successful lawsuit. Um, But what's interesting is what happened in the appeal two years, uh, pardon me, three years later in 2018, where two out of the three judges in the Ninth Circuit upheld the original ruling, but the dissenting judge called that precedent dangerous because the two excerpts really were not all that similar and said that the gay estate was successful in copywriting a musical style.
0: A whole style. Yes. What I can't shake is that a collage to me seems to be the art of the 21st century, like, <laughs> whether you're talking about making a meme or making a song, you're talking about repeating something, altering it slightly, and extracting joy from that repetition. And it seems like that's actually always been the case. Like, we've, we've always done that. It just happens a lot faster now. So people are around to see their art be repurposed in this way. What do you think is lost? when the reaction to seeing your art spread is a lawsuit.
1: Yeah, that's that that's highly unfortunate. If artists aren't allowed to sample even a short segment without getting a license, um, that does harm creativity. And if someone comes up with something in an improvisation uh, or just in a jam, which happens all the time, uh, which seems to be, by the way, how levitating was created, it was improvised, so... If something you come up with in a jam, you then realize, "Uh uh-oh, this sounds like something that I've heard before, if you can't use it then, even though you weren't even thinking about it when you wrote it, that's disappointing. That'll slow down the pace of creation of art, and that doesn't incentivize the creation of art. This
0: slowdown, some people say it's already happening. Jeremy says there's one case in particular that he thinks about all the time, because it shows the way these lawsuits, even when they're correct on the facts— Ignore the benefits of repurposing music, making it new again. In
1: 1991, uh, the pop group called The Turtles, they sued the rap group De La Soul for sampling a short segment. I think it was 12 seconds of their song, You Showed Me, uh, in De La Soul's song, Transmitting Life from Mars. And uh, they ended up settling for $1.7 million dollars. And, you know, why is this a problem? I mean, did they sample without permission? Yes, they did. Um, But did that do the turtles any harm? Hardly. Uh, If anything, it created a new market for the turtle song. It did them a favor. It didn't do them any damages. They weren't losing any money from someone sampling their song. So they really had only to benefit from that. And that seems to be the case with Article Sound System now, too. They have only to benefit here, they've already benefited. Whether or not they win, whether or not they get songwriter credit, whether or not they get any cash in a settlement, now people know who they are.
0: But they may say the only reason people know who they are is because they sued. Absolutely. It's kind of like a vicious circle here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Won't argue with that.
0: Jeremy Oros, thank you so much for joining me playing a little music.
1: Absolutely. It was it was a joy to be here.
0: Jeremy Oros is an associate professor of music theory at the University of Memphis. And that is our show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Carmel Del Shad, and Elena Schwartz. We're getting a ton of support these days from Laura Spencer and Anna Rubinova. We're led by Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. I'll catch you back in this feed tomorrow.